Kia ora and welcome to Business Your Way, a podcast where I take you behind the scenes and look at the strategies, systems and support needed to grow and scale an online service business. One that not only supports you and your family financially, but one that gives you the freedom to live the life of your dreams. I'm taking the many lessons learnt over the last two decades of running my own business and working with hundreds of clients to bring you What's Working Now conversations. I'm pulling back the curtain to bring you real stories from real people, including myself. We're going to talk about everything from how to get clarity on your vision, creating systems so you can automate and delegate, how to hire a kick-ass team that creates raving, returning and referring clients. We're even going to talk about how to kick those limiting beliefs to the curb so that you can flourish in your business. I'm your host, Sandra Julian, an Indigenous mama of three, fashion-loving sewist and business strategist. Each week, I want to help you dream big, plan well, and do the work to grow and scale your business your way. Kia ora and welcome to episode 89 of Business Your Way. This week on the podcast, I am talking to Rachel Claver. Now, Rachel first began her career as a teacher. And then that shifted from literacy into marketing, and her and her husband own a marketing agency called Identify Marketing. But Rachel has again evolved her career and is now mainly working as a marketing coach doing marketing strategies for small businesses. And so this episode is really juicy. Rachel and I dive into the many years behind owning that agency model business, the things that we've learned. What I discovered during this episode is Rachel and I have so much in common when it comes to our journeys as agency owners. The breaking point where you need to realize you need to move from technician and working in your agency to being the business owner and managing your agency. We've got some great stories around how that went for both of us, but it really highlighted that tipping point in the agency model. So if you're an agency owner and your team is getting up around that 10 people mark, there is a shift that you'll need to make as the agency owner when it comes to about that point in your business. And we need to make that shift from being the technician, like being the person on the ground doing the client work and make the shift into being the business owner where we are managing our team and we're managing the direction of where our business is going. So this conversation with Rachel is like none other than we've had on the podcast before and I really do hope that you take away a lot. We are sharing our lessons learned over the last couple of decades as being an agency owner and like me, Rachel wants to help 
other small service-based businesses move into a really smarter business model. And you can still run your agency model, but we have to be smarter around how we do that. And we want to make your learning time a lot more condensed and a lot more shorter than what Rachel and I spent many years working out. So buckle up people, this is going to be a really good podcast. We jump all over the show at times, but it is truly just a real conversation around two people that have learnt so much owning and running an agency model service-based business. If you had any aha moments or takeaways, I would really love it if you could take a screenshot of wherever you are listening to this episode and then share it in your stories over on Instagram and tag me. All right, here is my conversation with Rachel Claver. Hey Rachel, thanks so much for joining me on the Business Your Way podcast today. I am really looking forward to diving into our conversation. I'm really looking forward to this too. Actually, we were talking just before and I was like, this is great. I almost feel like we could have hit record right away and jumped in. But also I was like, this is going to be a very good conversation because you've got so much interesting background and and knowledge around what you do as well. That it's going to be great kind of swapping ideas, I think. So <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And you've got such a diverse background, but let's not go there first. What I'd love you to do is to introduce yourself to the listeners. So who you are, who you serve and how you make your moolah. So my name is Rachel Claver. I call myself now a marketing coach, which has been a big change from previous years where I definitely was calling myself a marketing strategist. To be honest, that's mainly because of SEO um, more than anything else. Uh, But I definitely think I'm a a marketing strategist more than a coach. Now, the way I make my moolah is I work primarily with small businesses and I would call them anything from a micro business to a thriving, um, strong small business that has a team of under sort of 15 to 20 staff. So very much in that space, quite a broad reaction. But the key target market or the key types of people I work with are people with a really strong growth mentality. And for my coaching program, they know they need to take charge of their own marketing and understand it really well. So I really want to work with business owners as opposed to working with a marketing manager or marketing people within the business. So I'm all about empowering the small business owner. And my moolah mm-hmm. is, is I do marketing strategies and I have a content marketing coaching program now, which is so far removed from what I started with. And and I, I'm half and half of an agency with my husband where he does the more hands-on stuff around CRM and email marketing and that sort of stuff. So I'm not a hands-on dedicated person in that regard. I, I'm definitely the, the strategist talky person. (laughs) So you and your husband started your marketing agency together though? Well, actually I started it. I had been employed by another marketing training company um, and was doing really well with them. And they gave me a 25% pay cut on my contract uh, because I was doing really, really well. I was commission-based and they said, but I was working like to the ground, like so I was making myself sick in terms of how much I was working. And they said, you have grown really well. You're doing really well. You're outselling everyone. We're going to cut your commission because we're really confident you'll make it back. 
but we want to reinvest that money into growing our business. And I just was like, I, I'm not going to survive another year and really just felt quite, probably quite angry about that too and quite hurt because I felt like I'd given quite a lot to them and treated it like my business. Um, and so decided to start a business. And because that was training and strategy, I didn't want to go and replant that somewhere else ethically. So I started a social media management company was actually what I began with. And it was just going to be me. And uh, my pricing and my model completely reflected that. Accidentally grew a team of 14. And then uh, all the cracks started to form. And Rod actually came into the business as it was beginning to completely combust and break. He came in for a month to try and fix it and has never left. <laughs> and then we've got a completely different business. So, you know, it was good. <laughs> wow. See, so that's interesting. It's you get started, you do some stuff, you work out what works, what doesn't work, you adjust it, you move, you pivot. Like that word pivot's been around for far longer than COVID. It totally has. And I think one of the things with the pivot is that we often, and you know, you and I talked about this before the, we hit record and you're talking about how your business used to be really broad. You used to have like different things going on. And I always teach, you have to narrow the arrow. You have to really be clear on a very narrow offering, even just in terms of communication of what you're doing, but also to stay in your zone of excellence or people say genius. I always feel a bit naff about that, but yeah. that zone of genius, because <laughs> but that, that zone of excellence, I think is where we sit. But what happens is because we are a DIY country, especially in New Zealand here, people will say, oh, can you do this? Sure, we can do that. And we go, well, we're doing it for that client. We may as well make it an offer for everybody. And then slowly we become this person that does everything and we can't do it all. So we start employing people and bringing people in who can do those things. We often don't have great expertise in those areas. We don't know what good looks like. Mm -hmm. And so we create this agency where our best intentions are to support our clients we don't often know the value of the work because those are areas that we're not in expertise in. So we might price it wrong, might quote inaccurately so that the mar there's no margin in there. Or we might just not know what good looks like. So we're not delivering to that high standard of excellence across everything. And so narrowing it down for me and constantly, I'm still narrowing all the time, is about really saying, what can I promise I can deliver to my top quality? Even if we outsource it to someone else, if the butt stops with me, and I have to go back and do it, I have to make sure it's something I can deliver 100% value to. That was that was our decision was we sat down and went, if it was only ever us and no one else was in the business, what can we stand by knowing that we can deliver really well, even if we don't use other people to do it with us? That's such a good way to narrow that down yeah. and decide what is it that I want to do in my business? Because that was the decision point for me is yeah. I knew I could do all of these things. So, mm. but what did I want to do? Because if yeah. it was just me, I could deliver to a really high quality, whatever I set my mind to. And I yeah. knew that. And so that's why we ended up doing lots of things. But actually I had to sit down and go, what do I really love doing the most? Mm. And I wouldn't be bored because that was my biggest thing. Yeah, mine's also <laughs> I boredom. wouldn't be bored yeah. boredom is, doing is that thing. thing. Well, that was the biggest problem. The reason my business grew originally was I started the social media management thing. And there was a bit of strategy in there as well. There was content writing because I had been a freelance writer. I'd been an, I'm an author. Like I'd had a lot of books published and I've had done a lot of magazine work. So I was very confident in that space, lots of web work. 
but I really was quite burnt out in that space. So I was quite at that stage, I was quite bored with it mm. and it was very easy and I'm not great when it gets easy. I need to have a challenge and feel a bit freaked out every time I've got a client and go, I don't know how I'm going to fix this. That's when I bring the best work. And also I did this, I got all these clients. I was very good at selling it. So I got all these clients with social media and then I discovered that I have a fatal flaw. I am really good at doing your social media for six weeks. After that, I'm bored. (laughs) So I had to bring on people to come and keep on doing the work, you know, but it wasn't my type, my style. And some of them were brilliant. Like, honestly, some of those people in my team had amazing brilliance that I would still 100% back today. But really for them, the flaw was I didn't have my pricing model right, that I could pay them the right way because I just hadn't, I'd messed that up. But but yeah, I do think that understanding and loving what you do is really key. Um, I've just completely changed my model for the way I deliver my marketing strategies this year uh, because I was doing them in a way that was very scalable. I had a team and we were all doing them and I could, I did them. It was really good time-wise. It was a very good, very structured got really good results. People really loved them, were really happy. It wasn't like I was getting bad results, but I was so bored that I would often pick up my phone halfway through one of those sessions just to keep my brain active enough to keep myself focused. And when I'd go to write the strategy, I physically felt like I was going to throw up every time I did one. And so I was having this nauseous periods every week and the severe reluctance to work. And I was like, I can't live that way. So I've now completely revamped the model and love it. It's harder work. It's more intensive, but I am more fulfilled. Mm. And clients are getting more out of me because I'm really engaged. And so do you have a team now to do the the, the stuff that you find boring, do you have a team to do that? Or na- oh, your yes. business model now is just only what you do and you find challenging? So we have a team of eight, but we are the only full-time people in the business. So we went from this team of 14, then we went down to a team of six. Then we completely restructured everything and basically went down to just Rod and I and a part-timer. And then we built it up again. Over COVID, we went a lot bigger because we were very busy and I had two other strategists uh, that were working with me almost full time. Uh, And then when I changed the model to fit me, it it didn't fit the way that they work. So I have gone right back and shrunk it right back. And I now can only work with four people per month on this model, but I feel more fulfilled. And I think for Mm -hmm. us as a small business, it's been a really big journey for me. I mean, I'm 51, so I'm also not like trying to build an empire here anymore. I think if I was in my 30s, I definitely would be looking for sticking to a more scalable model and maybe sacrificing my own enjoyment a little bit. If you know, if I was in that, I need to you know get a house and I need to do this and that. But you know, we're not in that space, so we're very much looking at how does this business serve our life, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be having to manage a big team. So my team that we have now support what we do and in terms of admin support, uh, strategic, a little bit of strategic kind of working things through, fixing my ADHD brain with making sure that things go out when they're meant to go out. Um, and then we do some supplementary support for some of our clients around Facebook ads, um, a little bit of content and other bits and pieces. And we use our people there, but we actually now outsource a lot of the doing for specific areas. I'll, I'll recommend people. We don't want to be that type of agency anymore. Mm. So we really try and stay with what we're really good at. And that's just the model, I think, that suits our age and stage in life rather than saying that that's the best model for everybody else. Yeah, I totally agree. I I get where you're coming from. There's that that point when you are younger, where you are 
I don't know, looking for to prove that you can do it. You're looking to prove to yourself that you can do this and that you can build a team and that you can build a business and you can be successful and you can have a family at the same time. I don't know yes. when we're when we're a bit younger. We're oh my gosh! To... And you look back and go, "Why?" Put on our invincible shields and do it all. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially as women, I think we have, especially women who are mothers and have that drive to have a business. There is like this pull to kind of go, "I can do all of this." What do you mean I can't do it? And you mm. kind of you have to make peace with finding where that is. And I do look at some of the you know I interview a lot of people who are. I'd call them older millennials who really haven't prescribed that belief system into their lives and gone, I'm going to take school holidays off and I'm only going to work nine till three. And I remember doing some strategies with them early on and thinking, you guys have got no work ethic. Like I was so judgy. And now I look at that and go, damn, they've got it sorted. You know, like, you know, they are still making a good amount of money. They're still building these businesses. They just have gone, I'm not going to take a prisoner of my life and never spend time with my children and not be able to do the things I want to do. I'm going to find a way to fix what I need Mm. for this business and make it work for my life. And I actually really respect that. And now when I talk, I work with quite a lot of agencies now in terms and marketers and help them with their businesses. I love that I'm at that stage of my life. And quite often, you know, I'll have someone who'll go in their thirties and go, oh, no, and I say, are you paying yourself? And they'll be like, oh, well, no, we're putting the money back in. And I'm like, warning, red flag, not happy about that. And they're like, no, no, you know, we just want to build this stuff. And I said, if it's not profitable, if you're doing a turnover of over a mill and you're not taking money out of the business, we have to fix the model before we grow. Yeah. Because that lie of I'm just seeding it in, I'm, I'm prepared to put all my time and energy and not get money for this, mm. that's the broken agency model that we shouldn't be having and putting up with anymore. That's right. And I'm of the belief now, having gone through that whole, you know, learning phase that your business should be profitable no matter the size. I 100% agree with that. 100%. Yeah. And if you're not profitable when you're small, you're not going to be profitable when you're big. So let's get the model right. Let's get the packaging and the pricing right when you're small because your business should be paying you and it should be reinvesting in itself while you're small. So, yeah. And and I started off profitable when it was just me, but as soon as I started adding people in, I had never priced to plan to grow. So Mm. I always was, I had planned to start it with, this is just going to be my little agency. This is just me. And then as I grew, I had, there's more overhead. There's not just the overhead of paying for that contractor or that part-timer or that salaried person. There's the overhead of having to, I then had to have an office. That's an overhead. I had to pay for all that extra stuff. Their travel costs, if they were sick and I had to pay someone else to help fix it or whatever, I'm still pay, I'm t- paying for two people. Mm. Um, I was having to pay for the fact that I would have to start then getting other people to manage those people or admin support to support those other people. And you don't think of any of that structure when you're building initially. And my pricing was so out of whack for that, that basically everyone else got paid. I was running at a loss and I wasn't getting paid. And every time they asked for a pay rise, because quite fairly, some of them were definitely getting paid lower than they probably should have been getting paid. I just was so internally seething. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm not getting paid and I'm here all the bloody time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to fix it. That was a broken model. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I'm of that, you know, let's help you, let's help the your agency get yes. profitable 
at the size you are, let's uh, focus always. on that first before we then look at what are your scalable growth yeah. plan. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I do recommend to agency owners or any small business actually, and it's one that we use, is when you identify there's a gap and you need help, don't rush out and just get that help. I normally recommend to put aside a little bit of money when you've got three months worth of salary or contractor fees or whatever to pay for that person, then bring that person on because you then have three months buffer to get them up to speed Mm. without having to freak out about the fact that they're going to magically add value or fix your business. And during that three months while you're doing that, you can also be creating the systems like the training, the videos, whatever it is. So when they do join you, you've got everything up and running so that you don't have to spend all that extra energy when they come on to be onboarded with you having to spend lots of time backwards and forwards and and fixing everything. I wish I'd also done that earlier on as well. I had those better systems because my systems were really, there's no other way of saying it. They were shit. They really were. And I really, I think if I was building an agency now, in fact, we, I mean, we have built an agency. We do have people that we work with in that space. But if I was doing what I knew back then and did it now, I definitely would spend a lot more time creating those systems, making sure the pricing was right. And sense checking, instead of bringing someone else on, checking that whatever the size of the business was, was profitable then before adding another person to cope with demand. Yeah. 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 And also I think, There is an arrogance. I think there is like a thing where we have weird values of what actually makes our business look good. For me, this idea, like in marketing in particular, one of my team members had come from PR and it was similar. There was this thing that if you didn't have a big team, if you didn't, if you didn't look at a big team, were you really an agency? And so it was kind of like this thing where it had to look big to make you feel like you were successful. And I think I, I think I fell a little bit into that trap of going the visual picture of what we looked on the outside to me almost came more important than what actually was going on underneath the hood. Interesting. And do you think that's because when clients were looking for a marketing agency, they were looking at size or was that, that just a story you were telling yourself? I think that people do like if they're going with one of the things that you say about an agency over a freelancer and, and our rates were really low. So they weren't huge at the agency rates. Again, mistake. There's a reason why agency rates are agency rates. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for us, one of the reasons that that was a plus for us was we'd say, look, you know, we have backups if there's a problem or we have experts in particular spaces, you know, because I do think that one of the things with a, with a freelancer who says I can do everything, that's a red flag for me you know like really can you do everything I can't do everything and I'm really experienced across everything and I still probably would feel guilty about charging you for particular areas of marketing you know so I felt like there was this thing of we are this we can we can do everything because our team is so big Mm. I think it was a lot of it was that and we could say I could say oh you know well I feel you should work with this person because this is your business that matches them rather than working with this person and it makes you feel like you're giving them this this kind of menu of ideal people that they can connect with which Mm. works really well until one of them leaves and then you've got to say oh no actually I made a mistake it's actually this person that you're working with (laughs) yeah 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 I wanted to jump in here really quickly and ask you for a big favor If you are loving this podcast and this episode, I would be grateful if you could share it with a friend. Or even better yet, jump over onto Instagram and share it on your stories. Don't forget to tag me, I'm sandrajulian.co. That really is the best way for others to find out about this podcast, and I thank you in advance. 
Alrighty, back to the episode. One thing that like came up for me before is like you got to a team of 14 and thought you were going to just explode and like burn it all down. I got to a team of 12 in my agency when I was like, I was just pulling my hair out. Yeah. Do you think there's something about that number? Like that that 12 to 15 number? It is because that's the stage you need someone else to come and manage your team. Once you get past that 10 mark, you need someone else to take some of the team for you. And that's what I did. And I think there's a couple of things. One of them is, is that I I was actually talking about this with someone yesterday on LinkedIn because she was posting that she was really excited because she's just grown her team and she's moving out of doing and is going to just be kind of running the team. And I said, I actually really wish you well with that. I, for me, that was a disaster. And the thing is for me, I used to be a teacher and I remember being, to, I remember I really wanted to be a principal and I, I talked to the principal of my school at the time and he said to me, my biggest regret is that being a principal is the natural way to progress in your career and teaching, but actually I love being in the classroom and I really miss being in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm like as a marketer. I really like being able to keep my ear and keep on doing the work. And the bigger the team came, the more my time was being spent in managing, putting out fires, sorting out client issues. Sales was always a big component. And I mean, it still is. I still love that side. So, you know, but I was doing less of the stuff that I actually started my business for. And so I really struggled with that. And I do think that a lot of us that are in agency businesses, they're the ones that really thrive are people who have said, I don't really want to be doing any of the work I'm creating an agency where I am going to be the manager. Mm. And it's the ones where you are a doer, where you love being having that direct contact and doing that direct client work where I think we struggle most. And, and that's the start, the size where it really starts to show. And I would agree with you 100% because when I got to that point, I had 12 team across two locations in two yeah. different cities. And I realized that I was spending more of my time managing people and systems and not doing the client work or the client work that I had on my plate wasn't getting delivered in that timely manner that I wanted it to be. And so everything was suffering. Yeah, I I also made a mistake and it's my fault. It's not the person that I employed um, or any of the people I employed, but I, the person I put in charge of managing the team, most of the team instantly didn't like that person. And I probably should have been more open to that. I really valued that person's exceptionally gifted in a whole bunch of stuff. A bunch of them quit. Mm. And I, there was like undercurrent issues and I just chose not to pay attention I think because I think I was so stressed and I was like this is going to fix it I'm paying this person a lot more money than I'm earning and they're really capable and competent in what they do but that personal stuff probably it was a mistake for me it's nothing to do with it I want to make it really clear because I think that it's very easy for us when something like that happens to then go it was that person's fault it's always the leader's fault that's me Mm. it's always Mm -hmm. the owner's fault so I'm not trying to do anything and and I would stand by the fact that that person is incredibly capable and incredibly gifted as were my team and what they were doing as well so but it was a major culture it was a culture mismatch and I majorly stuffed that up I really do think I did Mm. and it really it it 
there was stuff going on that I didn't have regular one-on-ones with, like, because I removed myself. So I wasn't having one-on-ones anymore with that team. I was putting this person in that space and I was trusting that person to do things. And I think I lost touch with what's actually was actually going on and kind of just closed my eyes of that to kind of focus on getting more money into the business to try and solve the bleeding. And yeah, I just, I feel like I don't feel like I led it the way I should have led it. Mm honest mm. yeah and I regret yeah. I do regret that I think I've learned a lot uh, one of my clients actually um, said to me once and, and I've remembered ever since and I've passed it on to so many other clients since then she said if your business is to help lame ducks which my business is I'm, I'm there to help the business with the broken wing of marketing and, and make their wings better so they can fly right so that's my job so if your job is to to fix broken ducks or broken wings of ducks you certainly should never have people that you employ with broken wings mm. and, and and you know if all your energy is going into fixing up your team you can't put that energy into fixing up your clients and I realized because also one of the things is we had actually won an award for the fact that we had a policy where we really encouraged bringing on mothers returning to the workforce particularly single parents because I'd been one and that was fantastic, but they come with their own problems because they don't have to often have childcare. You know, they have like, they're stressed about stuff. Um, there's like, you know, they often don't have always a stability around things if their kid gets sick and all those things that I also had, but it created a problem in a big group when they're all like that, you know? And so, so I realized that I had created a business where there was a bit of I was running in to try and solve things that didn't always need to be solved or I was just shutting it down because I was like, this is too stressful and, and not not attending to it. So I've learned a lot about the way I lead. I'm a much better leader now. We have a lot more better systems in place and I would be very confident if I was to choose to grow an agency that way. Again, I'm very confident I could do a better job of it, but it was a very painful learning experience at the time. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think when we are the technicians, and that's how we start our business, right? We are the technicians. We are good at what we do, and we start a business, and it grows. And so then we bring people on to help yeah. us deliver that, and we bring people on. And then it reaches that point, that bursting point, where yeah. you've got to make that transition from technician to business owner. Yeah, it's hard. And, it's and a it, really that's hard, a hard, hard yeah, shift. Yeah. And I think you have to make that decision consciously. And I know for myself, I didn't recognize that at that point. I didn't recognize that I needed to move from technician to business owner. And yeah, then I definitely didn't recognize it either. Yeah. And so I'm like, gosh, if I just had a business coach back then who could have helped me and guide me and open my eyes to be a bit more conscious around what was going on. Yeah then maybe I would have made that transition a lot smoother. I mean, I've been working on that transition a lot since, you yeah. know, like how do I avoid <laughs> that situation again? And how do I continue to do what I love doing, but also be a really good business owner, yeah. which means that I have to give up that some of that technician. But knowing that technician work, knowing the, the nitty gritties of how you want to run your business allows you to train your staff a whole lot better too. Yeah, it really does. Be, and yeah. you can become a motivational coach to them and actually, you know, be their guide. And that's what we have now. You know, I have, I don't run Facebook groups for clients, but we have a team that do that. 
I meet with them. It's now every fortnight because um, we've got a smaller group of clients at the moment, but we were doing it once a week. And they come and ask questions. And I'm advising them still on tricky little bits and pieces when they get stuck or we share. share. When I have my marketing strategist, it was the same. We have a meeting every week. We'd share what we were working on. And I would give them strategic feedback and read their work and check it. And to me, that was the thing that I really loved. I knew that they, I wasn't doing it because I didn't trust them. I love the fact that I built this relationship with them where I was empowering and educating and lifting them up to really do their work. And because we now have a model where people get paid really well for what they do, that plus the education made it a really valuable thing for me to have them in my team. Mm. And that was such a different way of doing it than before, where I was so conscious that I was like scraping the bottom of what I could afford to pay for them, couldn't give them pay rises because it would literally bankrupt us. Mm. And was also trying to put out relationship fires in terms of the internal team, as opposed to really investing in their professional development, which is a far more positive way to grow a business. Yeah, um, I'll just tell you a funny thing that happened with me because I read Profit First by Mike Michalowicz um, on like just before everything was about to turn to shit. And it's a book around Profit First. And, and I knew then that we were unprofitable. And I was like, I need to reduce my team by at least one admin person coming out of it. Their contract's almost up. Um, I told the whole team that I was going to do it because they were like, just so they'd know. The person came in, I had my meeting with her and she came out with a pay rise and a renewed contract because I was just so useless at putting boundaries around to protect my business. And that was the point I went, no, I'm out of control here. I am putting everyone else's needs first before my own and before my business. And this is not going to end well because mm-hmm. you have to be able to make some bad decisions. And when we had to restructure a year later, and actually like lose people specifically or two, might've been two years later, you know, we had to actually choose to actually reframe and change the business and turn it around. I still count that as one of the most painful experiences of my life because I know we were responsible for feeding those people and and, and paying Mm -hmm. and supporting them in their life. And that was the hardest thing to do. It was the very best thing for our business. And so I knew it was the right decision but it was something I wouldn't have been able to do two years before. You know, like mm. I just, that, like learning how to do that and knowing it's right, like I, it still is one of the worst times of my life. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, the, you know. Yeah. I, I think that's one of my least liked things about business is when you have to make someone redundant Yeah, because you just can't make it work. Yeah. And you have to make them redundant. Like it's just, it's the worst thing ever. Like I yeah, I look back is. and you try and do it with such compassion. Oh, so but at much, the end of the yeah. day, it is their livelihood that yeah. you are just putting an end to. And I totally, and actually, I, I don't know if I've ever told this publicly, but it's been a long time ago. But we only, we really couldn't afford, we had two people that we were going through the redundancy process with and we were going to keep one. Literally, I was stressed about this because we really could only, we couldn't afford to keep either of them at this stage. And but we were going to keep one because we're like, look, we are, we can't really legally say that it's for both, and we're just going to keep one, we'll keep them employed. And we made one of them redundant. And I think we made we made one of them redundant, and the other person quit in protest. So we actually ended up being in the ideal financial position for where we were to reframe what we did. And she she did it, I think, because she was so angry that she'd been put through the redundancy process and was like, you know, how could you do it? But Actually, it worked out the best. It was the best thing 
that could have happened to us because it meant that we really could start with ground zero and build a lot faster and it made our business better faster but mm. yeah it, it, it was like one of those things was like huh oh that was that was a very painful experience yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's not one of the highlights of being a business owner no, for sure. It really isn't. It was really awful. Yeah, I remember in the redundancy meeting looking at my watch and going, Nothing, I had a check. And I went down and looked, and my heart rate was like at 150 beats per second. And I was literally sitting at the desk, and my heart rate was just, I could hardly breathe. <gasps> and, and it's really interesting because it sounds really self indulgent, especially if you've been made redundant and you can listen to that and think, Whoa, you know, like, what about the other person? I understand, I've been made redundant but I had never experienced it from the business owner's point of view. And I will tell you that even though that other time I like it was, I was a single mom and I had to like try and get a benefit afterwards and it was a global financial crisis. I would still tell you making people redundant is a far worse experience than physically being redundant. I don't even know why, but it was worse. Mm, It is because when you employ people, you feel responsible for their livelihood. Yes. It's your ability yes. and your business's ability to pay them their salary yes. or their contract. And it's an that honor allows to pay them. that. You know, like yeah. I never, I was never late on payments to my team, no matter how bad things were. Paying my team every year, every week was the biggest privilege mm-hmm. because I knew that we were doing this thing together and it made me feel like we were together in it, that I knew that they were supporting us by working for us. And so, I really honoured those people and and I I really liked those two people that were working with us too. I really liked them. I rated them and it was just a really hard experience. Because um, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's not their personality. It's not their work. It's not no, it's anything. Just, it's just your... The model wasn't working. The model yeah. was not It was a broken business that we had to fix yeah. and the only way we could do that was to completely turn around what we were offering and how we were offering it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I really want to dive into your background and how did you get here? Like you've touched on being a teacher in a classroom and had this projection to be a principal and then having a marketing agency and, you know, and now being that marketing strategist, that specialist. So how did you get here? I think I really believe that anything we do is never wasted. And I I have ADHD, which I've only discovered in the last couple of years. It also is partly why I was a terrible boss. I wish I'd known that earlier because I do like overshare, which I should have been able to tell people. Oh, by the way, if I employ you, I'll overshare at some point. So don't feel embarrassed. I'm not, you know, it's just, just ignore it. You know, like there's like little things where I could like, I wish I'd known. But but I um, I was a teacher. I then um, became a writer. I left, I left teaching after the birth of my first daughter and was writing. I was writing some books and also doing freelance writing. From that, um, went back to teaching, but in early childhood and was a facilitator and was running workshops all around New Zealand for parents and teachers, but they were night times and weekends. And I was already doing quite a lot of social media because I was doing writing. And so I was known as someone who was in that sort of social media world, early influencer. I'm 51. So like I was influencing like in my early 30s. So this is like 20 years ago before influencers got paid. I was going and advising PR companies around how to use influencers. And they're like, I, I think the social media thing's never going to take on. Um, they literally would be like, there'll be people sitting there going, no, I don't really think the social media place is a place for us. It's not going to work. And I was going and teaching them why it was important. Um, and then I was like, I need better. I literally came into marketing because I needed better hours with my kids because I was away so much at nights and weekends and I want to work that was during the day. 
Mm. And so it was a training and facilitation role more than anything else. And I was doing sales training, customer service training, and marketing strategy and loved it. Uh, and I, I got to, you know, grow. I got really good training during that time. And I think that with this constant passion, deep passion around the constant changes of marketing and that real thing of how do you connect with people and how do you use written and video and imagery to do that? Uh, I just, I think I'm really lucky that I have a job where I get to do all the different things I love. I get to do like you, a podcast. I have a column um, and stuff because of my previous writing experience. I have, you know, regular newsletters. I, I do lots of posting and do videos for TikTok. And I love the creative side of what I do. And I love that I get paid in a way that enables me to fulfill that creative side and then teach other people to find that creative side in them. And I think that's quite an intoxicating mix for me. Um, I don't know if it has to be marketing. I think I could have done it for lots of different things, but marketing seems to have the I guess the diaspora of the different tasks or things that keep me energized and interested. And the best thing about marketing is I will never get bored because it changes every bloody day. You know, mm-hmm. so for me, it stops the boredom factor. And you know what? I think that's why I've been in the events industry for I've so long is yeah. because it's it's not boring. Every no. event is different. And when you do that one event, you find something that you're like, just if that could just be this much better and this much better. So, you know, 20, 20 years on in this industry and I'm still looking for that perfect event. Yes. and you know? that's me. Like I, every time, like I, I posted about this a few weeks on LinkedIn, I said, you know, people often go, man, you do so much in your marketing and things. I am like every week, like even this morning, I am devastatedly disappointed in the level of what I've done something in. And I was happy about it yesterday. And then I'm like, I need to get it better the next time. I am, that's that drive just to keep on digging deeper and understanding deeper and I love it. I love that about it. And I want to go deeper into it. And I think that's the other reason why I'm really loving this new stage of my life where I'm doing coaching, because I'm working with small business owners where I am just basically getting to impart my passion twice a week in group coaching sessions with them, where we go, let's talk about this. And I'm excited about it. And I'm doing it with them. And I'm challenging with them and learning. But I'm getting to go all this knowledge I've been amassing for over 20 years suddenly I've got a group of people who want to hear about it every week and we work together on it. And that to me is like this fulfillment of I not only now get to have my lifelong passion, but I'm getting to have it and now getting paid to share it with people every week who want to hear about it. That's so mm, cool. You know, yeah, that's so cool. That's very cool. So with all of that knowledge that you have gathered and that you're now imparting, what are three things that you would want to share with other growing service-based business owners in this okay. agency model? The first thing is definitely think about what you really want to be known for. I still get very worried about people who say they're a full service marketing agency or full service whatever events or whatever it is. Like I think you really have to define exactly what's going to make you different. And if you go, so you do that, look at the most profitable areas, look at the things you, you most enjoy doing and look at the things that you can do. If someone, if you've got a key person in your business that could suddenly leave and that would ruin it, those are all risk factors in that little space. So that would be the first one. Second, make sure you're profitable. And by profitable, make sure you're paying yourself. Do read Profit First by Mike McCallowitz. So if you haven't heard that book before, because it teaches you to get paid for owning a business and working in the business, which is really key. And the third thing is, is that, then have time every week or every fortnight to work on the business, reflecting back and going, what am I happy with? 
I think the biggest trap I also had because I had a young team is I had this thing where I felt I had to be in the office Monday to Friday, nine to five every day to model that behavior. I would have been better to take a half day or even a day out of the office a week to work in a space where I was just going, what's happening in the business? How can I make it better? What can I be doing? What can I be doing better here? And actually working on the business rather than trying to work in the business in an office space. And we need to model that that is okay. And I would recommend that. Yeah. Mm. Those are three really, really good recommendations. Learned by bad experience. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And as you are rattling them off, I'm like, yes, yes, and yes. You know, all of those, I was like, if only I'd have known that back then. If only I'd have known that back then. Yeah. I know better now. And, you know, when you know better, you can do better. Yes, and we do that better. You know, we have those things. And, you know, we're talking about before that we're recording this during a short week. And it's hard in short weeks. It's hard to to fit that working on the business time in. And if you have two weeks where you haven't got it, I now get grumpy if I don't have that. I didn't even know I used to have to use it now, but now I know it's so important. I'm mm. like, it's getting booked in next week. Yeah. And um, and we've now started actually going through my diary and blocking out big days for me to also have a special projects for our business, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like I just get to have a day where I can create maybe our landing page, because I still want to be in charge of that stuff. Like maybe I'm going to do like our landing page messaging or I'm going to do this or a new resource or something because we've realized that that's allowing me to grow our business in a really cool, exciting way too. But mm-hmm. we get stuck in the doing and we yeah. even if we're managing, we get stuck in the doing and we need time out of that. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I didn't really realize is how much I actually love working on my business. I want to be working more on my business than in my business. But 10 years ago, I would have scrambled every amount of time to work in the business because that's what I thought I enjoyed. But, you know, going through that transition and loving the working on my business and the more I've you know, gone deep into that. I'm like, I just want to do more of that. So sometimes it's what you don't know. You don't know. I know. And I think too, that we have this weird idea that that should be done on weekends or at nights, but it should be done during our working week, you know? And I think that that's the other thing I think is really important that, oh, I guess the other thing, and we talked about this before is the only other thing I'd say is that if you are calculating your time on your billable hours, that is a really poor way to do it if you can't make those billable hours fit only into a two or three day period because as a business owner you need some time for admin you need some time for thinking about the business and you need some time for learning and creative flows so no matter what industry you're in yeah agreed agreed Rachel where can people come hang out with you what's your favorite social media to hang out on well actually to be honest at the moment my favorite social media platform would be TikTok and I am on the one as I am Rachel Claver Um, I am currently and totally (laughs) um, addicted to I've been running a free TikTok marketing challenge actually which has fueled my fire on there I'm just checking my name as I am yeah I am Rachel Claver or I'm on LinkedIn um, nearly every day I post on there and um, you can find me and then to Rachel Claver too, that's Claver, K-L-A-V-E-R. Um, so those are the two places that I post every day. Ah, perfect. All right, thank you so much. I'm going to put all of those links too into the show notes. So if anyone wants to go and check out what you're doing on TikTok, I'm 
I'm not on TikTok yet. So I'm just like. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I've just started doing this new one. I have, I've, I haven't made one live yet where I um, talk and then I have like a little picture that I've drawn and then I walk people through the picture. So we're going to see if those work. Apparently they're meant to be really great. So I'm just going to try them out. Nice. I have fun. I do some costumes sometimes too. So like, you know. <laughs> How fun. All right, Rachel, thanks so much. I mean, I think we could have spoken for hours and hours just yeah, talking about awesome. our experience and just what we've learned and what we want to impart on other agency owners so they don't have to do so much hard time and get straight to the solutions quicker. So, so much to uncover and to talk about, but maybe we just need to do another podcast episode. I think that sounds great. And I'm definitely going to have you on my podcast. So I think it'd be great to talk about this topic on there too. So yeah, that'd be great. You. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. And Thank thanks very so much. much for coming and so sharing much. so openly with the listeners pleasure. here Such on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. Before you go today, I want to thank you for being here and listening all the way to the end. All the links to this week's episode can be found in the show notes and you can read a full blog of the episode at sandrajulian.co forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button and get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you'd like to reach out to me and chat about anything on today's episode or any of the previous episodes on the podcast, then I've got a link in the show notes so you can leave me a voice message or a video message. I really do look forward to hearing from you. Alrighty, have a productive week and I will talk to you again real soon.